Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, and we have made it into this second half, the second section of Isaiah here. It's chapter 40. A big change has taken place here. We just saw in the last chapter in 39 how it was this ominous prediction of being carried away into Babylon, something that wouldn't take, wouldn't take place for a hundred years at least. And then here in chapter 40, you get these words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then the part that we are all going to be hearing soon with Advent and Christmas, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So promise now for the return from exile, the one that was predicted so long ago. So a big a big jump here in a chapter that gets used, as we were just saying, a lot in the New Testament with John the Baptist and gets quoted in several books of the New Testament. A lot of stuff in here for us to talk about today. And today we're joined by one of our regular guests. We've got Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Good morning, brother. Good to have you with us, and I hope it's not too, too terribly cold up there. No, it's uh, for North Dakota, it's actually a pleasant day. It's blue skies it's in the 30s, so we're not complaining. Okay. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> that's right. You know, I mean, if it's only in the 30s in lower Canada, that's not bad. That's right. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in Texas, and he's complaining because it, it, it got into the 40s down there, and I'm saying, oh, man, oh. I weep for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's true. Yeah. When that happens in Texas in November, no one really knows what to do with themselves. I can attest to that. But yeah, so Isaiah chapter 40, though, this is this is just such a well-known chapter. I mean, like of all the chapters um, in Isaiah, I mean, I think it's probably one of the top five and maybe top three in terms of like yeah. uh, the content that we're really familiar with and that we just kind of hear in lots of places. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we think of even Handel's Messiah, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he, he uses some of this uh, chapter for, for, you know, so if, even if people aren't familiar with, with, with Isaiah from reading the book, they, they know some of its content, even from this chapter, from listening to Handel's Messiah. I mean, yeah, it's a very well-known chapter. Just like, you know, many people, if they know any Bible verse at all, it's, it's John 3.16. Uh, not right. surprisingly, some people have, have, have are familiar with these words, even if they're not sure where it comes from. Right. So I think the challenge for a chapter like that then is, okay, there's actually, you know, like we, we might think to ourselves that there's only like, you know, five or 10 verses to this chapter, because those are the ones that we've heard, but there's actually 31 verses total, right? And <laughs> there's all these other verses in between the familiar ones that we shouldn't uh, skip over so quickly, right? And then you got to exactly. ask yourself, you know, how is this really fitting in with Isaiah, right? It's This isn't just a compendium of quotable uh, verses here. Exactly, exactly. Well, as we're going to see, you, you mentioned, you know, yesterday you did uh, uh, Isaiah 39, and of mm -hmm. course, uh, that ends with this word uh, to Hezekiah from the Lord that, you know, hey, even though things, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but even though yeah. things are going okay for you right now, uh, this is what's going to happen to your descendants. And, you know, pointing ahead to the fact that that these 
people from Babylon that came to check on Hezekiah and he showed them around and they were buddy buddies. You know, the Lord makes a point. It's not going to always be that way. In fact, Mm -hmm. your descendants will end up as exiles in Babylon, which is, is not good news. No, no, no. And, um, it's, it's, it's not good news. There's, there is a little bit of, you know, consolation in the midst of it. We saw the the last verses, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. There, there is a little bit of silver lining around that rain cloud, but it's going to be really dark. And when you get these words of comfort, then, I mean, just, we're going to see, you know, talk about, you know, warfare, right. And, uh, you know, re- receiving okay. from the Lord's hand in a, not necessarily a positive sense. Uh, yeah, the, what we're talking about is a desperate need for comfort. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and we know, especially from reading, you know, the, the history of Israel and, and, and uh, Samuel and, and Kings, uh, you know, we know even though Hezekiah was, a, 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 for the most part, a godly king, a good king, right. Um, right. Uh, his, his son Manasseh is Ooh, yeah. uh, from a totally different cloth. And of course, everything Manasseh does kind of sets the stage for, you know, uh, uh, Judah being judged uh, and being led to Babylon. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah, no, it's really, it it really is something how when you compare, you know, Ahaz to Hezekiah to Manasseh, it's just, uh, I mean, really, it's just like Hezekiah stands out like a sore thumb. You'd you'd almost think it'd be impossible for this, for this one man kind of between his father and his son to, be be like so god fearing actually because manasseh is like just like his grandpa but worse in some ways right right exactly exactly well well let's go ahead and 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 get started i want to read like these first five verses here you know and it really is appropriate we we're coming up on the last sunday of the church year uh this coming sunday and then then we'll be in advent and so this is uh this is really actually timing very nicely for setting the stage for advent yes Uh, And so as we look at these first few verses, let's go ahead and pray. If you would say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and uh, we thank you for all the many blessings you shower upon us. Uh, When we think of our lives here, especially in America, uh, uh, life is good for the most part. But we've learned uh, yesterday from Isaiah 39 that that. Uh, even though things might be uh, peaceable during our time, uh, hard times can always come, uh, especially if we turn away from you and and uh, and reject you. And yet today we're going to learn, Lord, that even if we rebel against you and there's, there's, deserve nothing but your wrath, uh, you are a God who seeks and saves the lost and ultimately uh, does all you can to bring us comfort in the midst of our unworthiness and sin. So help us to hear the good news today. Uh, the comfort you ultimately bring us uh, in your son, Jesus, who who saves us from our worst enemy, our own rebellion against you, that we might have forgiveness, uh, the certainty of your love, and the hope of eternal life in your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead looking at these first five verses. I'm actually thinking maybe we break it down and just look at the first two, because once you hit verse three, it's like there's just so much going on there with the New Testament. Oh, so yeah. it probably probably deserves its own its own comment. So here's the first two verses then of Isaiah chapter 40, beginning uh, yeah in the ESV here. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. 
that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And these words, I well, you know, comfort, comfort my people. I mean, that, that's made its way into a couple hymns, I think. Um, and that seems sort of straightforward. But I, I think that what we're kind of maybe less familiar with is the idea that, you know, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, this isn't necessarily the idea of, you know, we receive, you know, blessings upon blessings from the Lord's hand. This is uh this this is atonement in the sense of they've paid for it in sweat and blood and tears, right? Exactly. Yeah, and, and not in the sense that that their suffering earns God's forgiveness, but here this is a real you know, uh, this is a, a picture of the fact. In fact, we heard about this all the way back in Isaiah chapter 14, where mm. God uh, there talked about how, yeah, you, one day you're going to end up in Babylon, and it's, it's going to be horrible for you, but I will deliver you, and you'll be able to, to see how Babylon itself will be judged. But but here, God is making it clear that, that you know, you're going to end up in Babylon because of your sin. Uh, right. This is a direct... Uh, uh, punishment uh, for your rebellion in the hope of breaking you. But here's the beautiful thing. Uh, when when God breaks us, it's it's always in the hope that we will repent, that we might receive his comfort. Uh, God, you know, right. uh, you know uh, brings us down that he might lift us up by his grace. And so this is a reference to the fact that, that hey, you know, even though you're going to end up in exile and it, things, it seems like, you know, all is over, God is forsaking you. Uh, you have a God who will ultimately bring you comfort and hope uh, far greater than uh, the judgment you've received. Uh, the the good right. news that is coming far outweighs anything you've experienced because of your sin. Right, right, and that's a it's a difficult nuance, I think, sometimes uh, to maintain that. Okay, there is this sense where they are, you know, I mean, like like paying for their sins in the sense of their suffering, right? But as you said, just because that that's kind of the, the, the image or the metaphor, that doesn't mean that they earn any of God's grace that follows. I mean, I mean, really, it's just a, they, they've done their time, right? You know, and, and they're released from this prison, as it were. But that doesn't mean that God needs to be their God anymore or protect them or bless them or or anything, um, really. I mean, they, they've done their time, but God could just say, okay, that's it. You know, you've received your punishment, and I'm going to treat you like the rest of the peoples of the earth. But that's exactly. not—yeah, but, but that's not what you have. You have God in this chapter promising to still be the God of Israel despite everything. And so to not just merely, you know, let them do their time and say, okay, I'm done with you, uh, but to say, okay, I'm I'm taking you back after all this. That's the undeserved right. grace in it all. Exactly. In fact, a good way to think about the the penalty for their sins is not in the sense that okay, you're gonna you're gonna come back to my good graces by suffering for this, uh, as right. though our suffering somehow is meritorious. But it's more in the sense of what Paul says in Romans six: the wages of sin is death. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The one thing the one thing you do deserve is punishment. But right. then you think of what Paul says, but the gift of God is eternal life. So uh, out of the blue, even, even though what we should expect, what we deserve, what, what, what we, the, the, the consequences that we need to pay is suffering and, and rejection uh, by God, 
Uh, that's what we deserve. That's what we earned. Uh, the right. unexpected gospel is that God comes to us with his pure grace of comfort, you know, merited not by us, but by his son, ultimately, uh, right. who will suffer for us. And this reminds me of what we saw in Daniel, that when Daniel was looking, you know, and from actually this, this kind of moment lines up with Daniel really nicely. We saw that Daniel has this prayer, this intercessory prayer, and he, he goes and he looks in the prophet Jeremiah and he sees 70 years and he says, hey, wait, like, uh, that's that's about time now. Like, I mean, can we does this mean we're done with this exile? Does that mean that we can go home, right? And so what what does he do? What does he pray, right? We saw that in Daniel. He doesn't pray like, okay, God, well, you know, we've 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 done our time, so like it's your job to be gracious to us now, you know, like we did our part. I mean, no, I mean he's like on his knees and like crying and pleading to God for mercy and grace. I mean, it's if God does anything more with his people, it's only gonna be by grace, and, and you see that very consistently, whether it's here in Isaiah or it's there in, in Daniel, or, or I mean, just really kind of throughout the prophets, this perspective that, um, just as you said, you know, if it's any punishment, it's because we earned it. If there's any grace, it's because we never could earn it. Exactly, exactly. So I let's mean, take the a look that then. That actually is a, that's a very comforting message because if we think that we have to earn comfort, you know, there's always the idea right. of, well, yes. have I done enough? <laughs> yeah. But here it comes to us as pure gift in Christ. That's right. That's right. All right. So I think we're ready now for the next three verses. Let's start at verse three and just, just do, yeah, three through five. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, right, uh, this is uh, kind of interesting to read it this way, because, yeah, even though the, the words are familiar, we're kind of used to it being a voice cries in the wilderness, <laughs> but here it's yeah. a voice cries in the wilderness. So what's, what's going on there? Yeah. You know, well, it, 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 it what's interesting is you, uh, you know, the new Testament often quotes the Septuagint and, yeah. uh, uh, which is the Greek, Greek translation uh, of the Hebrew old Testament. And you do get some slight differences between the, the, the Hebrew Masoretic text and the Septuagint at times, and this is one of those cases. But like in the New Testament, like you said, rather than saying, in the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord, it's uh, there will be a voice in the wilderness crying this. But but in either case, it doesn't really make a difference, uh, uh, really, because uh, you know, when we see its fulfillment in John the Baptist, you know, people are going out to him, and he's in the wilderness, and 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 that's where he's preparing the way for the Lord, uh, uh, you know, in, in that part of Judea. And then, of course, it goes on to make it clear that that uh, this whole idea of the wilderness, you know, a, a rugged, barren place that, that that one can hardly, you know, travel through, you know, uh, that that that's used as a metaphor to say, but God is going to pave a highway through this, even though it's wilderness-like, you wouldn't you want to try to journey through it, you know, God's going to make a way. Uh, for his salvation to come to you and and uh, um, uh, uh, you know bring a blessing into your life, which is ultimately the spiritual blessing that we will see that is fulfilled in Christ. Right. Yeah. I know that's right. I mean, I think it's fair to say that 
the the difference is is I mean, kind of in some ways, a little bit more of like a linguistic and historical interest, because really, if if there's a voice calling out um, and it's telling the wilderness to do something, clearly it's heard in the wilderness. So the the voice is there, too. So either way, yeah. it's it's actually kind of just both. Right. Um, but exactly. as, as you said, it's this idea of of preparing the, the, the way to make this return from exile happen. And as as you said, too. Um, you know, here it's the literal return from exile. I mean, Cyrus of Persia is literally going to send them home. It's going to be a long trip. Yeah. And we, we saw this in uh, in Daniel and Ezra. You know, I mean, they had to take stock of, you know, hey, who's going to stay behind in Babylon? Who's actually up for this trip? You know, who's going to try to resettle this? This is going to be really hard, starting from scratch and just rebuilding everything. Um, you know, so it's only by God's grace that they're going to be able to go and they're going to be protected from, you know, wild animals and bandits and just the, the, the elements and all the rest of it. So, um, it's only going to be by God's grace that they're going to make it. But then even in John the Baptist, in the case later that we see in the new Testament, there's, as you said, a spiritual return from exile. Oh, yeah. I think what's interesting, you know, we see this a lot in the Old Testament where you have a prophecy that has some fulfillment at that time, but then the the real ultimate fulfillment is in Christ. And I think this is especially the case here where even though this is referring to the fact that God brings his people from Babylon back to the promised land, I find it interesting that this voice in the wilderness says, make straight in the desert a highway for, not for God's people, but for our God himself. <laughs> mm. It's like God is going to clear a way for him to come to us, God himself. And, and and we see that ultimately in John the Baptist. You know, he says, hey, I'm here to prepare a way for the Lord. He's coming to you, and you're going to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, well, yeah, so that is I, – I appreciate you pointing that out. That I mean, we, we shouldn't skip over that. You know, part of – and we saw this actually in um, – especially it was it was in uh, Ezra that a, a big part of this return from exile was not simply that you know they got to like kind of walk out of prison but i mean Cyrus i mean he loaded them up he said you know here take take the gold and and take the silver and and take these animals for the sacrifices and take you know all this stuff so that you can rebuild the temple and they were going to rebuild it twice as tall as it was before. I mean, like they were going and they were going to be able to have the expenses paid for, for the sacrifices from the Imperial treasury. And so, I mean, this is not just the people going back to a place that they called home once, but this is building, rebuilding the temple for God to come back exactly. and be among the people. Because I mean, it wasn't in Ezekiel and we didn't look at Ezekiel, um, I mean, I think I think we looked at Ezekiel on Thy Strong Word uh, before I started with it, uh, very early on in the year, perhaps. Um, but isn't in, in Ezekiel there's a vision of the Spirit of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, leaving the temple, so that the idea is oh, now yeah. He can finally come back to it. Exactly, exactly. And then you know you also have this talk, you know, in in, in Malachi, you know, the Lord will right. come to His temple. You know, and so you have this whole idea that the glory is returning, and and sure we do get some fulfillment of that when 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 the temple is rebuilt, but then the, the ultimate uh, glory returning to his people is when when the Son of God Himself comes to them in human flesh, and uh, well, and we see yeah. that being ultimately fulfilled when when John the Baptist is preparing them for that. 
Right. Yeah, no, you get you get the spirit of God in the form of the dove alighting on our Lord Jesus. When he goes up onto the mountain, you get the cloud, that cloud that's been around since um since, you know, back in Exodus, right? That's been following his people around through the wilderness and into the promised land and being there in the temple and it descends upon not upon the temple, but upon Jesus there um on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, the, the and so all of that being a way of saying, you know, hey, we're we're coming back from spiritual exile and God's coming to his true temple. Jesus is the true temple, the true promised land. I mean, that that's really something that that the person of Jesus would be the land and the temple ultimately. Yes, absolutely. You know, the, the as wonderful as the temple was in the Old Testament, you know, it was it was the presence of God. It, it, it was just all finally, ultimately, a picture, you know. And then and then you think of you know uh, again John chapter one, you know uh, Jesus tabernacling among us, you know right. it, 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 it you know Christ becomes the temple, God's presence Himself walking among us, and so you know uh, uh, the, as wonderful as the temple was at, at its time, you know its fulfillment finally is in Christ. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and we, we have to go into our break in a couple minutes here, but we have a little bit of time still. So let's take a look at this next little section, because this is also another one that's quoted not even just once, but a couple times in the New Testament here. These next few verses, beginning in verse six, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So, so yeah, the, um, the these words get picked up, I think it's like in First Peter, but um, I mean, also they're alluded yeah. to in, in James as well, in James chapter 1, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And you might wonder, you know, what's going on here? The first three verses, you get all this comforting language. And then this is sort of like, okay, <laughs> God's put, putting us in our place again. But but uh, he, I think that they're, they're in the midst of this, what seems to be humiliating language, your grass, your, your nothing. Right. It, it, it's, it's a reminder to us, uh, don't put your trust in, in human resources, you know, because you're going to be disappointed always. Um, uh, but remember, the word of God will stand forever. So even in the midst of, of human failure, where it seems all hope is lost, um, uh, we have a promise of the Lord that that uh, is is sure and certain. You know, I I think of uh, you know uh, this whole idea that the the flowers fade, the grass withers. You know, we think we we all ultimately have to face death. You know, you know, that, that, uh, from a human point of view, death is the end of everything. It's like, okay, that's all she right. wrote. But then, right. but then we have the promise of God. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. So we, 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 you know, God is here is reminding them. You know, when 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 it looks like all uh, hope is lost and you're suffering because of your sins, uh, trust in the Word of God. Uh, you know that that can bring uh, life out of death. Well, yes, absolutely. There's that, that kind of um, implicit resurrection hope idea, right? That even in the face of death, God's word stands. You know, it reminds me of the uh, the. I mean, I mean, the actually the reading from Luke this past Sunday that 
the that um he's not god of the dead but of the living for all live to him right that idea that hey well if he's the god of abraham well even if abraham's dead if 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 god's his god i mean that that means something it means he's not totally gone i mean mean, it means that there's actually hope for him still uh, just because it's anchored in god and not anything else and um, I think, I think there's maybe even a couple other things here and just these three little verses to talk about, but we need to go into our break now, but hang on everybody. We're going to look at the rest here of Isaiah chapter 40 on thy strong word. We'll be right back. KFUO listeners, what's one of the most important things in life? Your health. You need to be well to serve well. So if you're in the Concordia Health Plan, now is the time to choose your 2020 benefits. From now through November 15th, go to your personal member portal at concordiaplans.org and sign up for your health care, retirement savings plan, supplemental life insurance, and accident benefits. Sign up now through November 15th. Don't miss out. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMode.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMode.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. KFUO has been a part of the family, in a sense, for many, many, many years. We stayed home and listened to KFUO, and we love doing that. Really appreciate all the work that goes into everything that you do here. For so many people to be able to hear the gospel, what a blessing that is. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 40. We're joined today by Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. If you've got a question and you're listening live and you'd like to ask me and Pastor Eckstein, you can call at 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. You can also send an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. So we were just looking at these verses 6 through 8 that get picked up in James and First Peter. And we're kind of asking ourselves, you know, so what's the, the function of these verses? You know, comfort, comfort my people and... I don't know. I mean, just like you were saying, brother, I, I feel like I, I've kind of had the same reaction. Comfort, <laughs> comfort, my people. You're all going to die. Uh, you know, like, hang on. What? Right. what? Uh, that, that seems a little incongruous. Uh, p- part of the thing that um, I wonder is, is maybe, and maybe this is kind of just taking a step back to figure this out. Whose voice is this in? Because it, there's this voice and it seems to be like the same voice. There's a voice calling in the wilderness 
do do all this uh, stuff, you know, make make the the high things low and the low things high and, you know, the jagged things level and all this. And then there's this other voice. It, it seems like it's perhaps the same voice still still going on, crying out and, and, and saying cry. And then you have this introduction of I and, and the first this is the first mention of it. Right. And then I said, well, hang on a second. Who said anything about you? Um, but OK, so it, it seems like the I think the kind of standard way of taking this is that God is like speaking out and telling the the prophet to speak on his behalf and to speak these words exactly. of comfort and all the rest. Right. And so he says, right. but mean, hang, well, hang on. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, and scholars debate on this, but I, the way I've always taken this is when it says a voice says, uh, this is actually God saying, I want you to cry. And then right. the messenger saying, well, well, what should I cry? And then God, God tells them what to say. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the interesting thing. When you get to that bit there in verse six, halfway through, all flesh is grass. You don't see any quotation marks there in the ESV. So the ESV is kind of leaving it. Well, I mean, I don't know like what the ESV is trying to tell us, actually, with that. (laughs) It it makes it seem like it's kind of like, well, this is just the narrator. And it's just kind of these are these are the kind of the narrator's thoughts on the whole situation. Um, kind of apart from the dialogue. But if you look at a, in a translation like the NIV, um, you actually see those quote marks pop up there with all people are like grass, like as you were just saying, this is the message that you are supposed yeah. to actually crowd. He's answering the question. And and in fact, um, you know, like our own uh, Reed Lessing, who did the commentary on Isaiah 40 through 55, I think he also has the quote marks there to say like this is actually the message and and so if this is god's message for his people you know you know what what is going on here how is this comforting i had one thought and you can tell me what you think is it perhaps comforting in the sense of your enemies are mortal and they aren't going to last forever either that that idea of you know the the you know the prince of babylon for all of his power as in, as invincible as he seemed right he was the first to actually make it into jerusalem and destroy the temple so like babylon is just the the big bad guy who seems to be of cosmic proportions we and we've seen that in isaiah that like babylon is just kind of like the greatest most unspeakable evil imaginable um so that right. babylon is kind of kind of synonymous with with satan even on a certain level and as as terrifying as big as that bad guy seems all flesh is grass its beauty is like the flower of the field when the breath of the lord blows on it the grass withers the flower fades this guy is done um could could it could it be like that could it could this be like you know ding dong the wicked witch is dead oh yeah absolutely (laughs) i mean even though even though God uh, disciplines His people, it, it uh, the, the, like again, I think back. If you read these verses in light of what we've heard earlier in Isaiah 14, is God yeah. going to be really tough on His people? Yes, but He's going to bring them back. There's going to be a remnant. But but this Babylon that looked like they were the king of the earth, God's going to bring them down to the dust. And so I, I think that there's definitely an allusion to that here. But then he's, the, 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 the good news is that, you know, Babylon doesn't care about the word of the Lord, uh, so they can't benefit from it. But God's people who trust in the word, there's life in the midst of death. And I, I find it an interesting irony here, because uh, a lot of times when Scripture talks about the breath of God, it, it's to give life. 
But in verse seven, God is using his breath to bring death. You know? Yeah, that's true. But, but, but for God's people, it's, it's both ends. God does bring us down, but it's only finally through faith to bring us up. Uh, and, and yes, I think you make a very good point that that in the end, God will finally deliver us from our enemies. I mean, not only does he spare Israel from Babylon, but as you said, Babylon becomes an image of of, uh, 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 the great enemy of God's people, Satan himself. And, and, you know, as we already read about in in Genesis, you're going to eat the dust. You know, you're going to crawl on your belly. God will be victorious. Yeah, and you mentioned dust, which which I think is is uh, we're going to see that actually because in verse nine, then it seems like it's it, it's kind of um I mean there's something of a reset almost or like like you have this introduction here in verses one through eight, and then we're going to kind of have the same pattern go on uh, from verses nine onwards, and so it starts off and we're going to get language of comfort, deliver this message of comfort, deliver this message of good news. And then we're going to kind of switch gears, and it seems to be the message of the nations. They are just grass. They are just dust. They are like a drop in a bucket. They are like nothing. So, I mean, if that's if that's right, um, you know, and you get this language of, you know, he brings princes to nothing, then, then perhaps that that is maybe how we're supposed to be reading the stuff about grass, that, you know, um, right. especially the idea of, of beauty, that you know this was uh, connected to babylon right with like all of its you know hanging gardens and all of its you know this is the city the noble city right you know beautiful babylon and all of its splendor and nebuchadnezzar you know you know just touring his city and just looking at what a beautiful thing he has made right and uh brought brought low in the end yeah absolutely i think in verses nine and following, even though this this is a definite reminder that God's in control and and the unbelieving nations are nothing before Him, it's also a loving admonition to God's people to remind them, you know, don't lose hope, don't don't despair, you know, don't be like the nations who live as though there is no God, you know, uh, remember that I am God and and the same God who will bring the nations down to nothing, He's able to save you. Never doubt that. You'll never forget right. that. You know? All right. That's yeah. right. That, that, that's right. Yeah. He is. It's just reminding, you know, reminding us all that, you know, th- this is the creator. And if he has the power to, you know, bring Babylon low or bring Egypt low or to rescue from Assyria, you know, like that's that's the creative power also to to bless and restore and to rebuild in this case. So let's go ahead and take a look at the next uh, three verses here because this is um th- this is nice because you get this this shepherd imagery that we haven't had uh yet so far so take a look at just these next three here beginning in verse nine go on up to a high mountain o zion herald of good news lift up your voice with strength o jerusalem herald of good news lift it up fear not say to the cities of judah behold your god behold the lord god comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So, I mean, here you just have a very clearly uh, comforting message here. And uh, it's, it's interesting. He... I mean, he addresses Zion, Jerusalem, right? He's calling his own people, uh, at least kind of like the, the city, I guess, is is the messenger, is the prophet on, on a certain level here. 
and, and the and the message then is for the rest of Judah that you know there's going to be this little remnant of of Jerusalem, but the the message and the good news is is for all the people of God. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't help but think, you know, with the shepherd language, I think of how you know in Micah we have the you know the the prophecy of of the Savior being born in Bethlehem, and then this comment that he'll be a shepherd of my people Israel. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, uh, just just pointing us ahead again, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, uh, we are his sheep. And uh, even Jesus language in, in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. So, you know, it's just beautiful to see that the, the, the how this shepherd talk here in Isaiah chapter 40, you know, gets fulfilled very concretely in in uh, the language about Christ in the New Testament. Yeah, well, yes. And and then even so, there's ultimately it's going towards the fulfillment of Jesus, you know, who says, you know, I am the good shepherd, as we saw back in John. In, in the local context, it's interesting, though, because, you know, the shepherd language is king language. You know, the shepherd metaphor is immediately recognized as you're talking about the king, right? Um, and it's it's easy to kind of consider, especially King David, who, you know, started off as a shepherd, right? And so it's it's a very, it's kind of the stock standard metaphor. It's it's royal in its nature. And yet, when they go back from Babylon, when they arrive at the decree of Cyrus of Persia, but they're in Jerusalem, they don't get a king. You know, you know and it's very, no. very particular. We saw how that works out in Ezra. I mean, there there is Zerubbabel, who is sort of a Davidic figure. I mean, um, you know, he's got the connection. He's not king, though. It's just just really interesting that, um, I mean, you can kind of take it one of two ways. Like, either it's just, well, this this really isn't getting fully fulfilled, um, you know, which, of course, is part of it. But also, I mean, maybe more optimistically, God is the king, you know, and he is the shepherd, you know, even when you know we don't, we don't have a literal king, right? And um, you know, he doesn't he doesn't need that to rule. I'm, I'm reminded of um, a recent album was released called "Jesus Is King," right? And that's true whether you're <laughs> whether you're under a monarchy or a, a constitutional republic, right? Right. Well, especially when you think about the years following uh, uh, for Israel after they returned from Babylon. You know, they're constantly being ruled by somebody else, except for a brief period of time during the Maccabees. You know, they're they're constantly being ruled by some pagan nation. And yet in the midst of all of this, there's this reminder that, hey, you still have a king. That's right. (laughs) God is your king. And and, and he's watching over you in spite of what you you might be experiencing from from, uh, worldly rulers at any given time. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it really takes our own nation. I know our own nation right now. People bemoan the fact of where America is going, and you know, you know yeah. what what our future holds. And, and as Christians, you know, we we do our part in the civil realm, you know, to to you know work with things. But we finally remember we're, we're citizens of an eternal kingdom. No matter how bad things get here, we we have a king who will uh, shepherd us forever. Right. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, it's um. Yeah, it, it's a it's a good thing for us to reflect upon that you know it's it's ju- just as their situation was far from ideal, and we and we talked about this I think a good deal when we were looking at um, Daniel and Ezra, just how um, especially with Ezra, just how God works through like the the pagan nations and like you know 
bad guys, you know, conquerors, emperors, like he works through them to bless you, to, to bless his people, to, I mean, to, I mean, to support the worship of the temple, right? I mean, so it's just, this is, this is the standard way that God works. We shouldn't be surprised when he uses, um, you know, rulers who could be described as, you know, wicked and fallen and, and lacking and failing in many ways, but he uses them to bless the church. It's like, yeah, that that's how he does this. That's that's how God operates and blesses in a broken, fallen world. Yeah, absolutely. And we we see this we see this even in the New Testament. You know, we have to wait on God's timing. You, you, even be, right before Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, we still have the apostles thinking, "Are, are you going to restore the kingdom now?" <laughs> and he said, yeah. oh, "In God's time, you know." Yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, until then, you know, God's kingdom is hidden. And uh, even though it looks like evil is in control, uh, we know who reigns on high. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's consider the next um, portion here. I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking because the the end of the hour yet draws nigh. um, Perhaps we take a little bit of a larger portion here, but I'll pick it up here at verse twelve. And this is uh, as we were saying, getting to this idea of you know really. The, the nations are just like grass, they're like dust, they're like nothing compared to God. So this is picking it up in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand, who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness." So, I mean, this portion here uh, with some just beautiful poetry, a lot of different images. I mean, what what's the description of the powers of this of this world? Right? Um, they're like right. dust. They're like emptiness. They're like nothing. Um, what? They're they're like an idol that doesn't speak, doesn't move. That you know that is. Uh, I mean, in chains, <laughs> right? Which is a little bit ironic. Yeah. They use there. They're like grasshoppers. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And this this almost is an echo. It reminds me of the way God talked to Job at the end of, yeah, of, of the book yeah. of Job. 
where so where were you you know so when, whenever we start thinking a little too much of ourselves you know god here is reminding us yeah i'm the creator uh and so even if you if god's people start worrying oh you know what hope do we have look at these nations you know god says hey who created everything? <laughs> these, right. these nations are nothing before me. Trust in me, and you have nothing to fear. Right. You know, no, that, that's right. And so, I mean, it's um, and, and it's this way that he's focusing on just how great God is, and and, and I think the logic is is getting us. We're, we're going to see it in the end that you know we have to be reminded how powerful God is, and so. That's why when we're confronted with a hopeless situation, like here we are in, in exile in Babylon, there's nothing waiting for us back in Judah. Jerusalem is just a pile of rubble. There's nothing that can be done. What, you know, what hope is there? What, you know, it's an impossible situation, right? One of these, you know, moments standing on the bank of the Red Sea, right? And you're just between right. the rock and the hard place. And it seems like there's, there's just no way out. Well, I mean, God has to remind us and say, Hey, look, like, I am I with my power I I wipe out Babylon like it's nothing. You don't think I can use that power to save you? So I mean I think I think that's where it's all going that if we're reminded of oh, of God's uh destructive power and power of judging that this through faith should remind us that he has the power to save and recreate. Right. And you think you know ultimately what a comfort this is you know, even though God can give us temporary uh, moments of pleasure and, and reprieve in this life, the fact is we all finally have to face death. You know, we, we, we all finally have to watch our loved ones being lowered into the, the, the grave and know that that will happen to us one day, too. And yet, in the midst of the, the seemingly hopelessness of death, you know, we have the God who, who created Adam from the dust of the ground in the beginning, who, who says, death isn't going to stop me from giving you life. You know, uh, we, we, we have the God who created everything out of nothing. Uh, death isn't going to stop uh, uh, him from uh, uh, bringing us into his kingdom for all eternity. So this is just God reminding us, uh, not only am I victory, uh, victorious over the nations, uh, as we see in 1 Corinthians, you know, Jesus is victorious over death itself. And so uh, we have certain hope in the Lord. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's true. There, there's both of these things intertwined, right? Like, you know, God has these tools of both judgment, but also of, of building, because he's the one who built it all to begin with, right? And so that, that kind of judging and creation language is, is it's all like intertwined there, um, that, you know, you've got kind of the, the waters in the hollow of his hand, right? That's, that. what a fascinating way to think about it. It's like, you kind of almost imagine that, well, it's it's that it's that old song, right? You know, he's got the whole world in his hand. I mean, it's literally that, right? Like in verse twelve, yeah, the idea yeah. that the Creator is literally holding all of this together. He's measured it all, yeah. um, you know, with a span and marked it off. You know, he's the one who's you know, uh, you know laid the foundation. He he sits above the circle of the earth, right, and stretches out the heavens like a curtain. You know, it's like, you know, he he built this thing. Yes. And, and I think it's important, and we see this in Isaiah, and it's fulfilled in the New Testament, too. Even though we know God holds the, world's in his hand, holds the world in his hands, and that those who trust in him will ultimately, as it says at the end of this chapter, rise up on wings uh, as eagles, there's a waiting period. J just as God's people had to wait those 70 years, and then 
God finally delivered them. You know, this side of heaven, we're still in the, the wilderness. We're waiting. Uh, but we look forward to that final day when all things will be restored. So th- th- there's a sense of waiting in faith uh, until God's promises are fulfilled in his time. Right. And well, let's go ahead and read just like oh, just three more verses here. I, I think I kind of maybe stopped short, but this kind of just underscores um, and just kind of highlights everything that we were just talking about here in verses 24 through 26 here. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Yeah. I, I just, I really, I really like the way that he just concludes this section here. Um, you know, a, again, using that language of, you know, when the breath of the Lord blows on them, you know, they're, they're gone. They, they wither, they fall. And in fact, this is kind of interesting. They're, they're kind of blown away. This, this kind of goes back to that image that we saw in, um, in, in, well, in Psalm one, right. The way it starts out. Right. Right. And I, I love this language too about lift up your eyes. You know, look at the stars. I can't. I I, I read an article recently about you know the science of astronomy and how we we still haven't even begun to chart the heavens. You know, there, there's there's planets and stars out there we don't know about and probably will never know about. But here we see God knows them all. He calls them all by name, <laughs> and yeah. so He's not going to forget you. Not going to forget you. Either. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's right. Yeah, no, the last thing you just said there, I mean, reminds me of that. You know, I, 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 I remember the first time someone introduced me to this concept of the observable universe, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, you think to, you think to yourself, the observable universe, and that sounds like first glance um, to to mean something along the lines of like, oh, well, it's just you know, we, this is how far and powerful our telescopes are, and you know, and, and but we you know one day we'll we'll have more advanced technology and we'll be able to see more and observe more. No, that's not what it means. It it means that because of the speed of light and the size of the universe, it is literally impossible to observe uh, the universe past a certain point. It it like no matter how advanced our technology ever becomes, we will never see the universe beyond a certain point and like, wow, if you want to feel small, like reflect on that, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. it's, it's literally impossible for us to see them all. And yet, because he is strong in power, not a single star is missing from its place. Exactly. All right. So let's go ahead and hit the conclusion here. So, you know, after God reminds us about how, how great he is as a judge, um, judging and, and condemning the, the enemies of God, how great he is as the creator you know, who brought all these things to be, even the stars in the sky. So here's here's then the conclusion to this, the, the comfort, the message that he has for us as our shepherd. Verse 27 to the end. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, 
and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Yes. And I, I love this language. I think this is important to understand this in light of, of you know, our eternal destiny. You know, we're, we're, we're not promised that we're going to have our best life now. <laughs> in this <laughs> in this life, we may, we may be faint and weary, and ultimately yeah. we all have to die. But then I love verse 31, those who wait on the Lord, oh, wait on the Lord. You know, one day uh, we will uh, mount up. Uh, with wings like eagles, uh, which is ultimately saying in, in the new creation, we, we will finally have the fulfillment of God's promises. This side of heaven, we're weary. Uh, we all finally have to, you know, breathe our last breath. But uh, one day, you know, God will keep His promises, and uh, we will we will live forever in His His victory in His kingdom. A- absolutely. That that ultimately, you know, there's the idea of you know. Yeah. Being like lifted up and and brought into the presence of God, like our our Lord tells in that story of Lazarus, you know, born up by the angels, right? You know, born up uh, as if by uh, eagle's wings, right? The um, I really like the end of the Lord of the Rings when um, at the end of Return of the King, like they literally like they have these giant eagles that I think Gandalf calls or something, and they actually just bear them away, like away from the land of Mordor and all like the dreariness and the evil and the corruption and, and the, you know, the eye of fire and all, all the onslaught of, of the forces of evil, but they're, they're literally born up on Eagle's wings and brought to, uh, brought, brought home. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And we, again, this whole thing, trust God, wait on him, you know, uh, will this life be hard at times? Yes, but wait on the Lord. You know, I think of how the creed ends, you know, we believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. You know, we wait on the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, brother. We looked at a really cool chapter today, and I think that I, uh, I help. I appreciate the way you're helping us unpack it and seeing how it does really fit together as a whole thing. It's not just a, a, a few quotes here and there. It really does make a cohesive message of comfort for us even today. Yes. Everybody, that was Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Thanks for joining us today, and we thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.